0: Rider Break without Common Rider and there wouldn't be Common Rider without Cyborg 009. Welcome back to another episode of Rider Break, the official podcast of egadevil.com. I'm your host Egadevil and this is episode 9. This week we've once again got a movie review, this time of the brand new Cyborg 009 film, 009 Re: Cyborg, which premiered in theaters across Japan today. I just got back from watching it. So here are my thoughts on the movie. As usual for a movie review, there will be spoilers and plot details coming up later in the episode. Before I get into all that, though, I should probably talk a little bit about how I approach this movie. With Cyborg 009, I am a huge fan. I love the original comic. It's one of my favorite comics of all time. And is really up there with the original Ryder comic as one of my favorite works by Ishinomori. And in the case of Ryder, you know, I'm always sort of comparing it with the TV version, which is, to me, the definitive version of that story. Uh, But I do like his comic a lot. With Cyborg 009, I do feel that it's his version that is sort of the best version of the story ever told. The various animated incarnations, they're all pretty good, and I really like the 2001 series, but there is something extra special about his comic uh, that I'll get into a bit more when I talk about the characters of the movie. But, yeah, Cyborg 009, I love. I'm a huge fanboy of it. So, you know, obviously, I came into this movie with uh, very high expectations and and very strong opinions about what I wanted to see, what I didn't want to see, so on and so forth. You know, I was really, really looking forward to this one. And I was a little bit hesitant, too, because coming into the movie, I hadn't seen a whole lot about what the story would be about. I knew it would be about Cyborg 009 but that's literally it the trailers show you a lot but they don't tell you much you know so i didn't have much of an idea of of what i'd be getting into with this one so with all that said uh i really liked this movie i enjoyed it although i would say that it was a very good movie that with a little bit of rewriting could have been a great movie uh and it mostly comes down to how particular characters are handled or how they're not handled, rather. Um, And especially when it comes to the end of the movie, which I'm kind of... uh, I'm on the fence about, but I'll get into that uh, when we get to it. But overall, I would definitely give it a thumbs up. I'd say check it out. If you're a fan of Cyborg 009, it's a must-watch. If you're newer to Cyborg 009, I'd probably recommend reading the manga or watching the 2001 animated series before this. Um, because this one's interesting in that it's it's not a remake, and it is a sequel, but not to any one particular incarnation of Cyborg 009. It's just sort of a, a sequel to the Cyborg 009 story as a whole. You know, in the sense that it's the characters all come back, and they all kind of get one more adventure together, and so on. So you you can come into this not knowing anything about the characters and still enjoy it. Or you can come into it as a longtime fan and enjoy it, too. But I'm not sure if I would say it's representative of Cyborg 009 as a whole. I feel that the 2001 animated series is a little bit more... It's closer to kind of my idea of sort of a definitive take on 009 other than the original comic itself. But it's, you know, by no stretch a bad movie and worth checking out. I think if you're all at all interested in it from the trailers or whatever, then I'd certainly give it a watch. Um I'm interested to see what they do with it in terms of overseas release. Uh because the website, uh the official website is all in English as well as Japanese, which is pretty cool. You keep up with the updates and stuff like that. So I'm thinking that they'll probably give it at least maybe an official DVD Blu-ray release in North America. Other countries I'm not too sure about. I seem to recall reading that some other Asian countries were going to get it in theaters, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, But we'll see what happens. Yeah, overall, general opinion of the movie, it was really good. A lot of the complaints that I'm going to have I can fully admit they are me being just a, a nitpicky fanboy. So, you know, if you just want the general general kind of viewer uh, feeling on this one, then I'd say it's a good movie. Check it out. It's got some great action, beautiful animation. The animation is great. I'm not familiar with the director or the studio or their other works, but I kind of want to check them out now because they do a great job with this one. And all the uh, character design choices, some people were a little hesitant about when they started revealing the character designs and all that. Honestly, they were just fine. I mean, you know, I I am kind of a purist for Ishinomori character design, so... But, you know, these takes are okay, too. I mean, I completely believed in the characters. I believed that that was 002 on screen. I believed it was 009, and so on and so forth. So, you know, the character designs are great. Voice acting is great. The music's great. Yeah, just visually, it's a a wonderful movie, beautiful. I saw it in three D, and it was kind of the more atmospheric three D, as opposed to uh, the so-called like cheap three D gimmicks where they throw stuff at the screen, which I kind of enjoy. But yeah, you know, it was it was good three D. It was it really popped. I think you could see it in two D though, and still dig it. So yeah, overall, I mean, I, I don't really know how much more of a recommendation I can give than that. I, I think it's it's a good film, and it's worth checking out. Although, if you're a big fan like me, there there might be some things where you know you'll be a little bit you'll be left kind of scratching your head at the end of I think because uh, this movie has an interesting storyline to say the least. But we'll get into that now as we dive headfirst into the plot and spoilers of the movie. So the plot of the movie is actually really hard to talk about. Because this is a film in which a lot of stuff happens, but it doesn't really start making sense until towards the end. And when it does finally make sense, there's kind of a twist that makes everything stop making sense. Now, I, that may sound kind of like a condemnation. It, it's it's really not, actually, because believe it or not, I did kind of dig the, uh, the story of this movie and, and the ending. But it feels very much... How to put this? I guess uh, I'll put it this way. For me, uh, I enjoy Ishinomori's Cyborg 009 comic in full, although I definitely think the strongest part, the best part, is what he originally intended to be the comic, which was you know from the very beginning up until I think it was the end of the uh, Underground Empire Yomi storyline, you know, with the original ending, the very famous ending with uh, the, the final scene with 002 and 009. Uh, I, I think, you know, just taken it on its own, that is some great comics right there. The stuff that came afterwards, uh, that's all good and well, too, but it certainly uh, it went some interesting places, to say the least, because Cyborg 009 famously got bounced around between a couple different magazines with uh, different demographics in mind. I know for a while it was actually running in a magazine that was aimed primarily at teenage girls, I think it was. So the comic, you know, it, it got pretty trippy at times, and it, it got very uh, esoteric and quite bizarre. And so this movie, in a lot of ways, is kind of paying tribute more to that aspect of Cyborg Zero Zero 009, I think, than the earlier stuff. And and by that, I mean, there is good conventional you know, grounded action in this, but the overall plot involves a mystery which does not have a very scientific explanation. I guess, you know, to elaborate on that, what I mean is, for me, one of the coolest things about Cyborg nine was that it could present very fantastical ideas and then give them this very uh, scientific twist, which in a way kind of grounded them in Maybe not reality, but in the reality of the universe. Uh, for instance, there's a, a famous section of the comic where they're fighting these they are fighting these guys based on the uh, Greek and Roman gods, the mythos cyborgs. Well, that's sort of the twist, actually, is the fact that they are cyborgs. Because you don't originally know that. And even they don't originally know that. And, and that's what's sort of cool about it, is they're fighting these characters who believe themselves to be gods, but then there's actually this uh, nice scientific bend to it. Um, You know, stuff like that. So when you actually do start involving real gods and aliens and things, which the comic did, to be fair, but it certainly <laughs> makes things a little bit more confusing, and, and that's definitely what this movie does. But uh, I'll, I'll get back to the ending in a little bit. Let's just talk about each one of the main 00 number cyborgs. I guess the best place to start is with Cyborg 009 himself, Joe Shimamura. Um, At the beginning of this movie, he is living on his own as a regular high school student in Tokyo, and has basically forgotten uh, everything. He's lost his memory through means which are not entirely clear. Maybe I just missed it in the dialogue. I probably need to go back and watch the movie again, because the scenes in this movie, when they sit down to talk, they talk about a lot of stuff. Like, there is a part later in the movie with a lot of plot exposition all at once uh, that basically ends with, you know, them sort of questioning, like, well, how are all these events connected? And 004 goes, you know, how the hell should I know? Um, <laughs> which, is, oddly, uh, if it kind of sums up the movie as a whole, especially once we get to the ending, but Basically, yeah, Joe is running around, doesn't remember who he is, broods constantly, which, you know, to be fair, is true to his character in that he was always a very kind of uh, introspective guy who would, you know, really sort of had to deal with the fact of of what he's become and, and how does he go from, you know, where does he go from here? How does he get by in life as a cyborg and all that? How does he, you know, he can never return to a normal life no matter how much he tries. Which is all good stuff, but I mean, here he's not even thinking about the cyborg part because he doesn't remember he's a cyborg. Um, what he does seem to be is uh, potentially a suicide bomber, because at the beginning of the movie, there's this, these terrorist attacks going on all over, all over the world. There's one in Shanghai where buildings have been blown up and are falling over, and tons of people are dying. He's watching it all on TV in his big apartment. Like massive apartment with no furniture in it. Uh, he talks to non-existent parents, and as he leaves, he walks by. There's a bunch of maps on the floor and sort of architectural drawings and all that of this building in Ropungi that he goes to. And he zips up a bag full of C4 and dynamite, uh, plastic explosives, all that. So basically he is going to blow up this building. Although he doesn't quite understand why. And fortunately, you know, within the first 15 minutes, he's kind of shaken out of his funk because 005 shows up and attacks him in this really cool scene, and then 003 jumps out of a plane, and uh, that is enough to get, you know, Joe gets his butt in gear and, and saves her and remembers who he is. Although why he had forgotten in the first place, that's a bit of a mystery to me still, but... The whole uh, suicide bombing thing is, as he explains to others, he had heard this voice. A, a very recurring thing about this movie is that characters talk about hearing his voice. You know, our heroes do it. Random other people do it. There's this whole big conspiracy that involves the United States government, the NSA, and all this stuff that all relates to this mysterious voice. So... Basically, you know, after that, uh, Joe kind of gets on the level and is trying to figure out what's going on. Although not everyone entirely trusts him. Professor Gilmore doesn't quite trust him because, according to Joe, it was he who told him to go blow up the buildings and everything. Uh, so he heard his voice. And so he, you know, suspects, are you, are you an imposter or something like that? You know, they have some standoff scenes. Um, 002 Jet, he doesn't quite trust him. He doesn't think he's, you know, the same guy that he used to be. Now, their relationship was always a little bit contentious and that's sort of the, the charm of the two characters. Uh, but in this movie, it really does sort of take a while before they remember that they are supposed to be friends. Like, they're kind of at each other's throats for a bit. You know, of course 003 trusts him, but uh, she does quite a bit more than simply trust him. Um, but overall, yeah, it, it it's kind of hard to get a read on, on what 009 is up to in this movie for a chunk of it at the beginning you think he's a bad guy then it turns out he's not but he's not being completely honest with everybody either ultimately he is of course the hero of the film and he sort of makes the ultimate sacrifice although it's not exactly a sacrifice but we'll get to that uh but in general you know he's really cool they showcase his super speed ability, of course, which is awesome. It looks great. The first time he uses it is cool because there's water falling everywhere, so the raindrops stop. And I like how we get to see it from his perspective first, where everybody else moves slow. And then later on, there's a scene where we see it from a bunch of bad guys' perspective. There's all these soldiers trying to kill him, uh, these super cyborg soldier guys. who I'll get to them in a bit. You know they they surrounded him. They've got him at gunpoint and all that. Then he just blurs out of existence, pops back in, and they all fall over, basically sliced to pieces because he cut them all up with a laser beam. Uh, That is one of the movie's coolest scenes by far. But uh, yeah, they make good use of the super speed ability. Uh, It looks great. It it is kind of funny to me that uh back when he was you know lost his memory and thought he was just a regular high school student uh, i guess at no point joe ever decided to bite down because the activator to his ability is of course in one of his teeth and uh i guess he just never ate anything crunchy or something for all that time when he had lost his memory i don't really know <laughs> that was a that kind of made me laugh but yeah it's really cool Uh, I liked how they handled him overall, and I think visually he's also one of the best looking in the sense that, you know, he looks pretty close to the original Ishtimori version. You instantly know who it is. Uh, You know, no complaints there. Now, of course, he's the main character of the movie. The other most important ones, uh, this is where I get into probably one of my complaints with the movie, which is the fact that not all the other cyborgs get equal screen time. Some of them really kind of get screwed over, actually. And there's never really a scene where all of them are together. You know, the the trailer has this great shot when it's all nine of them together in their uniforms, uh, which I used as the graphic for this episode. That's a cool scene. Unfortunately, it's not in the movie. And we don't actually ever see them all together or all of them in their uniforms, which is kind of a letdown to be honest with you. I mean, when they do finally put the uniforms on at the end, or towards the end, rather, uh, you know, a couple of them do, like 009, 004, 006, 005, uh, 003, you know, but not all of them. And I don't know, I just, I guess I kind of wanted to see, you know, that scene with all of them together. So if one of your favorites is any one of the others, uh, then... That may kind of make or break this movie for you, I would say, actually. Now, for me, you know, I've always liked the whole team, uh, honestly. I mean, they're all kind of cool in their own ways. Obviously, 009 is, you know, the star and and sort of the the face of the whole franchise and everything. I like him a lot. My kind of personal favorite of them all, I think, was always 004. And probably it's because of the fact that he is kind of one of the most down-to-earth in terms of his powers. He's a guy who's, you know, a living weapon, pretty much. He's got a gun in his hand and so on and so forth. Uh, And I thought he just had a really great origin story, too. Which, it is very kind of tied into Cyborg 009's sort of Cold War origins in the fact that it's from the 60s. And his original story, he's escaping from East Germany... Which I just always thought was a a very classic kind of origin. Uh, And I I liked the character a lot, too. I liked his sort of... He's got this uh, not exactly nihilistic viewpoint, but very gruff, very sort of kind of pessimistic in a way. But at the same time, he was also capable of being, you know, a really good guy, you know, with a really kind of caring heart, even if he didn't want to admit it. You know, but I liked all of them, so... Um, as far as the other characters and and how they're handled in this movie and, and their roles well we might as well get to zero zero four who doesn't come into it until maybe before the halfway point but a little later than some of the others uh, he's great in this movie I, I love the depiction of zero zero four in this movie you know he feels as he should he's got his gun hand he's got his rocket firing knee his other hand is made out of metal now but it still has the blade like it you know always did uh he's really cool he's got some of the best lines as i mentioned there's a lot of scenes where you know something weird will happen and he'll be explaining it and then someone sort of questions him like well you know how does this connect or what does this mean and he's like i don't know <laughs> i don't have time for this nonsense i just want to blow stuff up um, a lot of the movie he's running around with this huge satchel which you know I was trying to figure out what is it is it supposed to be something important to the plot or something like that as far as I could tell it's you know extra ammunition and stuff like that so he just runs around with a bag full of weapons they've got grenades there's a big shootout scene which of course you know he takes part in uh, overall yeah I was I was happy with how they handled him um, Zero Zero 002 Jet Link of course is very important in the movie because he's arguably the number two guy, you know, after 009. And um, his depiction in this movie was pretty good. I I liked how they did his powers where, you know, he can fly around and and now, like, his entire body is basically a rocket. He's got all these panels that open sort of like wings and rocket boosters in his feet and all that. Um, I know some people were very critical of the fact that his design is changed significantly from the guy in the comic who has just a classic, iconic design that, that has been referenced by other you know, um, animation. And, of course, as I mentioned back during Ishinomori week, uh, Ishinomori inserted a character who looks very much like him into his Legend of Zelda comic. You know, he guy with the big nose and the long hair. And I would say, you know, I was okay with how they handled him in this movie you know, from certain angles, he does have a slightly more avian look to his nose, but it's not as pronounced. You know, I, I was all right with it, but I would, I could understand, you know, if you think the design of the original character is, you know, that cool. I, I'm with you. I, I think he is cool. And I, I've always sort of liked the fact that he has this very bird-like appearance. Uh, but he's okay in this movie. He is uh, surprisingly weak at times. Like, he gets taken out by a regular old taser at one point, and a very scared, like, flunky at an office manages to wound him quite severely with a a gun. And Now, admittedly, it's pretty close up, but... I don't know, I always sort of... I like the idea that uh, when you're a cyborg in the Ishinomori universe, you are bulletproof. Like, you know, no matter what. Unless it's like a really high-powered bullet or something like that, You know, it's not going to do much to you. Um, he's pretty cool. Again, he's got a contentious relationship with 009. And there's this whole action sequence where they're kind of fighting over... There's this uh, stealth bomber that's going to blow up Dubai, I think it is. Because that's the thing, is all throughout this movie, random people are hearing his voice, as they say, and committing these acts of terrorism. So that's what... Uh, was gonna happen with 009. He had heard the voice, and he was gonna go blow up Roppongi. Uh It happens to other people in other cities. It's you know really bizarre. 002 is trying to figure out what's going on, uh, and he's working with the NSA, nameless secret agency or whatever it is, National Security Agency. Uh, and, you know keeps going into sort of like bumbling in and out of all these meetings full of characters who you think are gonna be the villain in the movie but not exactly. And there's actually one sequence that was sort of funny where he goes into the Pentagon to confront these guys who I thought it was going to be revealed that they were all like cyborgs or something because there's all these men in black with like lines on their faces and stuff. And and I thought, these guys don't look like normal humans. Uh, But apparently they are. And their boss at one point you think is going to be, oh, well, he'll be the villain of the movie because he gets this big villain speech. Then he walks off and is immediately crushed by a piece of the ceiling that falls down. Um, it's kind of hard to explain what's going on in this scene, but basically the Pentagon gets attacked. Although not the way you would think, because at this point 002 hears the voice, as it were, and has this whole freakout where he's flying around blowing open walls and stuff like that. Uh, but he doesn't remember it. He only finds this out when watching it on played back security footage. He also sees this mysterious girl who I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but overall, he's pretty good. Of course, there's a, a scene that's got to reference the classic original ending of the comic with him and Joe up in outer space, uh, which is pretty cool. Although it ends slightly differently. 003 is pretty good. I like how they showed her powers. It reminded me a bit of in The Dark Knight, uh, that thing at the end with the was it, like all the cell phones are linked together so they can see, you know, all the floors of the building and it's all weird looking and, you know, wireframes and stuff like that. Uh, It was very much like that. But I liked how they sort of showed that one of her eyes is all dilated and there's all this data running through it and things like that. Uh, Her character's good. She's important. Very important, really, in, in being the one who kind of uh you know listens to the voice of reason I guess she's the one who trusts Joe completely when nobody else does uh, and so she's got some good scenes, probably after them zero uh, zero one of course doesn't do a whole lot, but he is important in the fact that you know he's he, well he's the telepathic baby who kind of uh, he can teleport everyone around and he can uh, sort of help them, guide them along, because he's incredibly smart and everything. And he gets to ride around in this high-tech chair that reminded me a bit of Davros. I also particularly like the way they did his voice, where, of course, he's, you know, telepathic, so he doesn't, his lips don't move, but his voice appears in everyone's head and has this cool sort of reverberating echo effect to it. Uh, He's pretty good and mostly hangs around at the base with uh, Professor Gilmore who, of course, is in this movie, and I liked his depiction. After them, 005 is in a lot of the movie, and he's pretty cool. He actually got a lot more dialogue than I was expecting. Usually he's sort of the uh, strong silent type, but he gets some speeches in this. I like the way they showed his uh, the surgical scars that he had in the comic, which you know were used, of course, in the Common Rider comic. And it's actually handled more like how it's done in Kamen Rider, where... When they would get angry or very emotional, and that's when the scars would appear. And they reference that in Kamen Rider Spirits. Ichimanji kept the surgical scars in his chapter. And the idea being that, you know, that's what their faces look like when they're wearing the mask. They've got these scars and and that's why they wear the mask to cover that. And here, you know, they did the same thing, where he didn't have them all the time. They would appear when he just got really mad and and hulks up and, you know, gets ready to beat the crap out of bad guys and stuff. Uh, So that was pretty cool. And there's actually one part where uh, he grabs a a minigun and and basically becomes Vulcan Raven. Let's see, 006 is pretty cool. Uh, He gets a whole sequence where he's infiltrating this base and encounters some of the evil cyborg henchmen guys who I'll get to, promise uh you know his fire breathing powers are done well uh, he's pretty good overall in general this movie is probably a bit more you know serious it's it's not it doesn't joke around too much but uh, you know it it still does provide a few chuckles and and definitely he's one of the more um humorous characters but at the same time he's still pretty badass and you know he's still important as one of the team and all that and now that brings us to 007 and 008. Now, I did like how they were handled in the movie. 007's pretty good. He's a bit more serious than I remember him being. He, he comes off much more, uh, ironically enough, as an almost kind of James Bond figure uh, for what little screen time he has. And 008 is pretty good. But neither of them are in the movie particularly long. 007 has his conversation with Jet Gets attacked by a few men and black guys who he beats up and uses his powers. He gets to wrap around one guy with his arms and, you know, crush him, blends in with the wall and all that. Uh, then he sees this mysterious, sort of glowing blonde haired girl, and he doesn't quite know what's going on with her, and then she disappears, and after that he's immediately hit by a dump truck and not seen for the rest of the movie until the end. Uh, and in 008's case, these <laughs> with 004 for a while then he starts to hear you know the mysterious voice he runs there in um uh, i think it's like istanbul or somewhere like that he's running through the streets he finds this mysterious statue of this this angel with like a skull face and then he's gone he just disappears from the movie and you know the, the mystery is kind of like what happened to these guys well you know where did they go and um the revelation of where they went is a little confusing But basically, he was working as an archaeologist and discovered a fossil that's very similar to the mysterious statue he found. So he is important, but a lot of the time people are just talking about him rather than we're actually seeing him and and him interacting and things like that. So that was kind of a bummer because 008 is another of my favorites and one of the places where I think the original comic uh, that true genius of it really showed through and to you know get off the topic of the movie for a little bit and talk about the comic and about the Ishinomori character designs and you know I can understand why some people really wanted this movie to stick closer to them. Now of course the subject of 008 is a bit tricky because he's a character who has evolved over the years in how he looks because the original depiction of him in the 60s isn't very politically correct by today's standards, to say the least. But at the same time, I think it was sort of important because you know it, I don't think it was just Ishinomori doing it because that's what everybody did at the time. That's how black characters were depicted in manga or comics or whatever. I mean that you know that's part of it. it part of it is just you know that is the age and, and things like that. But there's also the fact that with all the characters in Cyborg 009 it's a very, in a lot of ways, a a very racially charged story because, you know, they're all representing different nationalities and things like that. And um, one of the most interesting things about it is the fact that there's really no actual Japanese characters in in the main cast. I mean, 009 himself, Joe, is, is half Japanese, which played a lot into the fact that he sort of felt so alienated and was such kind of an outcast, really. I mean, he's... Very much discriminated against in a sense, and that's why he he finds a you know he finds a a, a safe haven and a family with this other team of people who are kind of outcasts now in, in more ways than one in the fact that they're they're cyborgs and they're no longer really human, but at the same time they also weren't all treated very fairly even in their own countries and things like that but you know zero zero eight in particular. I think the fact that, you know, he looked the way he did, and yet at the same time he was a very complex character with a really pretty dramatic backstory. And um, and actually the 2001 series even took it a bit further with the arc that was originally set in Vietnam in the comic was moved to his home country, the whole thing with the cyborg man and all that, which uh, is one of my favorite parts of the story. And I liked the, I liked the updated version of it. But, um, you know, even in the original, despite his appearance... He was treated with respect, and that was an important thing about the comic, about the fact that, animation uh, you know, comics in general, I think, is that he can draw these very cartoony characters. You know, who don't don't look realistic at all. I mean, people with huge noses and exaggerated features and really it, it didn't even depend on the ethnicity he would draw japanese characters the same way he would draw foreign characters i mean professor gilmore is like the prime example of that where there's uh ichimanji's father in the Common rider manga he has the same giant nose that he does or things like that and yet he would still treat them realistically in in how they interact and how they respond to things and, and their emotions and stuff like that so um, you know, in in this case, I, I'm i kind of just going around, off on this big tangent here, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that uh, the character of 008 has always really stuck with me because of the fact that he's so much more complex than the design and is really kind of a subversion of it almost, and... Yeah, I'm not going to try to defend it too much because I understand it, it is a touchy subject and I don't feel qualified at all to, to talk about it, really. I, I guess what I'm just trying to get at is that I think Ishinomori did actually think about it more. And, you know, over time, later on in his life, he would he would update the design of 008 to, to better sort of reflect the changing sensibilities and all that. But I do think when he originally conceived of the character... In addition to just sort of being, that's that's how things were done. That's how, you know, that was the depiction at the time. I do think he also was thinking about the fact that d- despite all that, he, you know, he's kind of going to use these very exaggerated, even stereotyped designs and, and do something more with them. Make them real people and make you kind of have to, to look, and look at them as real people and, and see What's going on beneath? And, and I mean, you know, again, everybody is drawn kind of weird. I mean, uh, you know, zero <laughs> zero two is an American guy, and he's got a massive nose, which is a very kind of stereotyped view of of um, foreigners, in particular, not just Americans, but yeah. You know, but then again, at the same time, he would draw Japanese characters that looked like that. So, I guess what I'm just trying to get at is that Ishimori, when it comes to how he would depict people. He was thinking about things a little bit more than other, you know, some of his contemporaries, I guess. Um, So it's a slight um, letdown that he's not in more of the movie, because like I said, he's a character I really enjoy. Now, of course, you know, the way he's drawn here is much more to modern sensibilities. Uh, And he looks pretty cool. I like that he's rocking the goatee look. But yeah, he's only in a little bit of the movie. And I wish we had gotten some more of him, because we never actually see him use his powers, even. You know his ability to breathe underwater. Which one of the trailers, in fact, uh, has a great scene where he's like running through the hallways, then you know sees something, and there's this, this great like pan out where it shows he's in a room full of water. And I was I kept waiting for that because I thought that's such a great moment, you know, because they have to showcase everybody's power somehow, and you could do some great underwater stuff with him. I mean, really, he's sort of like the uh, the great granddaddy of *Kamen Rider X* in a way. But, um, yeah, he doesn't get to do a whole lot in the movie, sadly. Now, as for other characters beyond our main heroes, uh, there's a classmate of Joe's who shows up briefly at the beginning, and then later on during what I think is sort of a dream sequence, he's kind of tripping out, and uh, she appears. I'm not really sure what the character's purpose is, other than they wanted to fit a Japanese high school girl in there somewhere. Uh, because it, you think that they're going to have this kind of romantic relationship, but his romance is with zero zero three. So I don't know if he just like sees her in this girl or something. I I didn't quite get that. I I didn't feel like she was totally developed beyond just being you know a, a sort of incidental character. And it's the same thing with the mysterious uh, blonde girl. This this glowing child that appears to zero zero seven zero zero eight and 002 we never really find out who she is i mean we sort of do but a lot of it is left up to interpretation you know there's she doesn't have any lines or anything like that she doesn't explain straight up who she is uh and so from there we really have to move into the villains in the movie and that's probably where uh you know i have my my biggest problem with the film and i'll admit once again it's me being a fanboy Okay, so all during the movie, they keep talking about hearing his voice, and so on and so forth, and there's no really clearly defined main enemy. There are bad guys, in the sense that there's people who have, you know, heard the voice and are kind of possessed by evil. I mean, there's one scene where we see this sort of security footage of a guy who is being questioned, and... He suddenly hears the voice and like freaks out and, and has a seizure or something and and collapses on the ground, so it's like, "Oh man, what's going on here and then we've got these mysterious cyborg soldier guys who, in the movie weren't really explained in the pamphlet like program that you could buy. It says that they're supposed to be these basically zombie soldiers there the corpses of dead soldiers who have been reanimated into cyborgs and are being used by the clandestine. Secret organization in the United States. Uh, there's this whole sort of conspiracy thing going on with the United States, where you know Obama shows up at one point, and you kind of get the impression that he's, uh, <laughs> you know, he doesn't have any lines or anything. It's just a shot of him from the back. Um, you know, the U.S. They're not evil per se, but there's some bad things going down, and they're trying to contain the situation. And unfortunately, our heroes keep popping up on security camera footage, so it seems like they're involved. You know, it's a real mess, but. Uh, You know, ultimately, I think anyone who is a fan of Cyborg 009, or is least familiar with Cyborg 009, probably knows where this is leading, or where you think it's going to lead. And it's where I thought it was going to lead, so, you know, let's not beat around the bush. His voice. I thought it was going to be Black Ghost. I thought we were going to get a scene where, you know, we get some great, pan sweep up, even if it was like the last scene of the movie or something, you know, like this was going to be the start of a trilogy or whatever. I just thought, we're going to see Skull in this movie and it's going to be awesome. We're going to have Black Ghost, you know, we're going to have cyborg men running around and all that. Because we kind of do. I mean, the cyborg soldier guys are very reminiscent of the cyborg men from the comic. You know, they've got self-destruct devices, they're ruthless. They're... There's this one scene where they um, they attack the Gilmore Foundation headquarters, basically. Uh, and they're, you know, blowing open walls, they're parachuting in or, or jumping down zip lines from helicopter gunships. They're shooting up all the innocent technicians and stuff like that. It, it reminded me a lot of uh, the end of Evangelion, except, uh, you know, what if Cyborg Zero Zero Nine had come in and kicked everybody's butts, which is basically what happens in this movie. And it is awesome. But, uh, you know, it's, it's very much stuff like that, but the thing is um, it's not Black Ghost. And we never really get into the story of where all these evil cyborgs are coming from i mean we're you know left to assume that they're they're being uh you know d- directed by these mysterious movers and shakers we see this council of evil dudes sitting around led by this guy with kind of sunken eyes and but ultimately they're just kind of you know they're as clueless as the rest of us basically there's that that's the thing i guess the problem is that there's no villain in the movie. There are antagonists, there are characters who are opposing uh, the 00 Cyborgs, but it's not, you know, there's not a direct threat like Black Ghost or whatever. And I know that Cyborg 009 didn't always fight Black Ghost, and they had other threats to contend with, and they did deal with the supernatural and conspiracies and gods and aliens and all that, but really, when you get down to it, I I feel that Black Ghost you know they are what Shocker is to Common Rider, and I think it's worth bringing them back. and And I think you can, actually. I mean, in a way, they're even more flexible than Shocker because Shocker does have a particular way that they have to work. I think a way that they function, a way that their monsters function. It's a really good way, but it is a way. And I think you know the way that Common Rider has sort of managed is to always take the Shocker formula and apply it in different ways, you know, you get it slightly differently, and you get something like Destron, you go a bit more abstract, and you get something like the Grongi, so on and so forth. I mean, every Kamen Rider villain, ultimately, is a play on the concept of Shocker, and the the monster army, and all that sort of stuff. With Black Ghost, it was always a much more sort of fluid, intangible enemy. You know, right from the get-go, there's there's soldiers and there's giant robots and stuff like that, but they could also, I mean, our heroes could encounter, like, an entire house that was a cyborg or a giant sort of spider robot that's a cyborg, Uh, you know, the aforementioned mythic god-type characters, assassins from the future, underground lizard men, you know, all sorts of stuff. So really, that's sort of the cool thing about Black Ghost, is it can be whatever you want. I mean, ultimately, it has to be an evil force that wants to take over the world and, and make some cash on the side by selling weapons and all that. But, you know, you can do a lot of things with that. So I really kept thinking that this whole story was almost like the rise of Black Ghost, again, where they're manipulating people into destroying major cities, they're infiltrating the government, they're trying to get rid of the cyborgs. They've got these, you know, super soldiers running around everywhere. I mean, it it really was all sort of coming together in my head as like, I can see where this is going. This is awesome. But ultimately, it doesn't go that direction because we have... The climax in the movie involves one of these people that has heard the voice is launching this nuclear missile from a battleship. And uh, our heroes have to stop it. Well, they're, they're launching several nuclear missiles, but they managed to blow up most of them. Because uh, earlier in the movie, the aforementioned stealth bomber scene, they were going to blow up Dubai, and they actually do manage it, and there's a sequence in which 009 has to outrun an atomic blast, which is pretty awesome looking. But, you know, it's not a really great moment for the heroes because they pretty much completely failed to save the city. So now, you know, at the end of the movie, there's missiles launched everywhere, World War Three going on, you know, just crazy stuff, so... 009 goes up into space to stop the missiles. They were trying to blow them up from the uh, surface. 004 and 003 launched uh, these counter flares that go up into space and blow up most of the missiles, but one of them missed. So 009 goes up there to blow it up. He gets teleported up into space. And he set this charge but then the outer shell of the missile detaches, you know, because it's like a, a rocket, that sort of thing, where it's got the different stages. So he's thrown back, and, and Joe's all like, no. and all, help, all hope looks lost. Fortunately, 002 flies up into space. Earlier, you thought he had been killed when he got you know, shot up by that scared office worker guy, which would have been a terrible death, so I'm, I'm glad they didn't do that. he flies up, he saves 009, and gets him over to the rocket, the nuclear missile thing. Uh, But then, you know, he's weakened badly, so he starts falling apart. And then there's this sort of, almost like a metaphorical thing where he, like, turns into a shooting star and and falls back to Earth. And so 009 is standing on top of the nuclear missile. Is like, i got to stop this. So he's, you know, set the charges and all that, but he can't escape. So he starts yelling at God himself because, as it turns out... (laughs) uh the hymn that everyone is talking about is basically god because uh yes that skeleton that 008 found was apparently an angel i mean like literally like a a big person with wings and yeah um now it, it, it's weird because it's not i mean the movie doesn't get too you know heavy duty with with religious symbolism or anything like that it it's just it's kind of this more almost, like, metatextual idea of of this god who is commanding people to destroy the Earth so that the world can be reborn. Because the tagline in the movie, of course, is that, you know, we can't begin until we finish. There can be no beginning without an ending. So it is kind of going down this, you know, end-of-the-world apocalyptic route. So uh, Joe detonates the warhead and it blows up in space with him on it. And then we get the end of the movie. I'm not really sure how to describe what's about to happen but I'll, I'll do my best. This is pretty much scene for scene the end of the movie. You know, Last chance to turn back if you don't want to be spoiled but I've already spoiled most of it so what the heck. Joe wakes up in this kind of Mediterranean looking village place 003 walks in, and he, he looks out the window and sees her walk across water, basically. Like, literally. Uh, and, and so does everybody else. Like, 007 shows up, he gets off a boat, walks across water. 008 is there, 002 is there, sitting around, saying, like, where the heck are we? The other guys all show up. You know, 002 says, are we dead? Is this heaven? And they very concretely say, no, we are not dead. This is like the remade world. This is the world of endless possibilities and all that. So at the end of the movie, you know, our heroes are all alive and well. They're all kind of... they come together. There's not the group shot, but they're all, you know, alive and, and in the same place. And they're all ready to go on to other adventures and all that. But um basically, yeah, they save the world by some of them dying except not and stopping a few nuclear missiles. I... You know, I really don't know what to make of the ending. It's, um, I, I guess I gotta watch it again. I probably, I will freely, freely admit, towards the end of the movie, you know, it was like, I was really enjoying it, but I was like, I don't know what is going on. So there may have just been, you know, a very simple explanation that I missed. But, yeah, as far as I can tell, uh, you know, 009 and 002 pretty much die but they didn't die. They're okay and uh it, you know it's a happy ending from there. The world is now open to endless possibilities and and new adventures and and people can walk on water and you know at the end of the movie we kind of zoom out from the earth onto the moon where we see the skeleton of the angel on the surface of the moon. There you go. That's 009 everybody. So yeah, I I don't really know what to make of that ending. I'm you know that's that's what I mean is that it's it's a very strange ending and yet it it's not out of place in Cyborg Zero Zero Nine because it could get very weird, it could get very trippy, and this movie does. Um, but you know if you're like me and and more of a fan of the kind of grounded, down to earth scientific side of Cyborg Zero Zero Nine, where where gods are cyborgs and ancient civilizations have giant robots in them and, and stuff like that, um, then it is a bit weird, you know? I mean, I guess maybe it's almost going for like a, a metafictional sort of thing where it's the end of the movie and, and the end of the adventure and everything. But, you know, the, the story of cyborg 009 never ends. The characters will go on forever. They'll come back in, in many more adventures. Uh, you know that's all I can make of it' cause it was certainly a very strange ending, but you know at the same time I did enjoy it so I guess what it comes down to when I said it back at the uh, earlier on the review, I said that it was a good movie that was just shy of being great. I think I probably would have liked it if it had been a little bit more straightforward in the sense that you know we find out that Black ghost is behind everything or something like that, and there's a nice big final battle where everybody comes together and, and blows up a bunch of missiles or something like that, and, and they all fall down to earth together. I, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I it, It's kind of hard to make sense of, of this movie, because it, it's kind of hard to talk about this movie, honestly. Like I, I had to think about doing this one for a while, because when I came out of the theater, I was like, I really enjoyed that, and yet at the same time, there's a lot of stuff about that movie I don't quite get, and it, it it sounds worse than it is in some ways. You know, describing it, you know, when I talk about this ending where everybody sort of wakes up and they're fine, you know, it probably is like, what? What the hell? What a rip-off. But, you know, I I actually did enjoy it. And maybe I'll go see it again. I'm not sure if I want to see it in theaters or wait till it comes out on DVD where I can watch scenes over and over again because I feel like maybe if I did it a second time and a third and a fourth and so on, maybe I'd get it a bit more, some of the things that they were doing, like maybe things are more foreshadowed or explained or whatnot I know there is a long scene in the middle where they're talking all about I mean they reveal the whole thing about the the angel being an angel and, and stuff like that, but um yeah, it was a weird movie but then again, Cyborg 009 movies usually are, I remember the one from the late 70s, the 80s where they go into space and it's such a strange movie because, you know they're flying through space blowing up asteroids stuff like that it's great then they get to the end of the movie where the villain just kind of dies cuz he's an idiot and they don't really i mean they save the day by doing nothing basically so it it kind of feels like that almost where you know again they they save the day by uh by dying except not i don't know i mean cuz it's not like anybody else died and they're all there at the end of the movie so i really don't know what to make of it uh you know i guess it's just sort of like that's the, the magic of cinema or i don't know what <laughs> i don't know i'm just rambling at this point um but yeah 009 re cyborg it's a good flick it's worth checking out maybe you'll be able to make more sense of it than i will maybe uh, this is one i think i'd actually like to watch subtitled cuz i tend to watch everything raw these days and i usually only watch subtitled stuff if I feel that I just didn't get it the first time. Because I'll admit, they're using some pretty complex language with this when, they, when they're when they talking about secret agencies and all that stuff. And, and a lot of words, you know, I would have to look up still. So I might want to watch this one, subtitled, I think. Or, you know, have somebody ask another Japanese fan to to simplify it for me or something. Because this, this one was uh, hard to figure out. But I did enjoy it. I, I did like it. The action scenes are great, and I mean, when it you know when it's the cyborgs doing what they do best, and especially when they put the costumes on at the end, it really does feel like exciting, you know. Especially the scene where um, all the evil cyborg soldier guys are attacking the Gilmore Foundation HQ, and zero zero five zero zero six and zero zero four all have to pretty much fight them off. Like it's three guys against you know an army of hundreds, and they manage to win because they're a bunch of butt-kicking badasses, and, and that's what I like to see in a Cyborg 009 movie. And, and you know, Joe shows up and super-speeds through guys and cuts them in half and all that, and uh, there's a scene where he's jumping around, blowing up missiles, and I guess, um you know, all the sort of the intellectual quasi-religious pseudoscience stuff, I mean, that's great too, but, you know, on some level there's there's just something cool about seeing a bunch of cyborgs fighting evil and, and kicking butt. And, and that's that's what I wanted to see, and I I got enough of that in this movie that I, I came out of it happy, even if I didn't completely understand the ending. But overall, you know, I dug this one. Uh, check it out when you get a chance. Um, so, yeah, that wraps it up for this episode of Rider Break, and next episode, I promise, it'll be back to business as usual, as I talk about the end of Forza and the rise of Kamen Rider Wizard, which I know we did a HJ radio on, but I'll do my own episode anyway, because I can probably think of a few more things to say about Wizard, at least, now that we're a few episodes ahead, and, uh, I really, I really started to dig the show, especially the last episode. Um... Eight, I believe was really good and I'm looking forward to the second half of it with uh, the final showdown with Phoenix maybe not the final showdown I don't know I, I have a feeling it might be the final showdown and we'll get a new villain to replace him but we'll see what happens um, but until then thanks for listening and I'll see you next time <laughs> organization make us into cyborgs they just wanted to develop more advanced high performance weapons whether we like it or not